So far in this Advent series, we saw that God came close. And he came not just to earth, but he came to become part of our pain and our sorrow, to bear our griefs, to bear our burdens for us. We also saw that God has amazing gifts for us in Christ. All of the blessings that we have are found in Christ. And God has these things he wants us to experience. He has these lavish gifts of grace that he wants to give us out of the abundance of his riches and his mercy and his forgiveness. Well, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, and this is probably a verse that you're familiar with. It says this, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Again, we see this idea of being in Christ. And Paul tells us a little bit more about what that means. He explains a little bit more about why Advent was so important, about why we uh, need to be found in Christ and all the gifts that are made available to us there. So imagine with me this morning, if we were to go down to the New River Gorge Bridge and we were to ask you to jump, right? Except for without a parachute and without a bungee rope, you were just supposed to jump, right? You know what you need to do. Just fly, right? Fly. That's the way to get out of that uh, predicament. That's all you need to do. Except for the problem is, is you don't have that ability in and of yourself to fly, right? Hopefully. I don't think any of us do. But all of a sudden, if you wrap that same person in a big metal tube, put a jet engine on it, and pretty soon you're cruising at 40,000 feet. Why? Because you're in a plane. And the same thing goes for us in Christ. We have abilities and things and actions that we can take part in that are not available to us outside of Christ. And if we live in Christ... There are some new things about us, and there's a new way about us. We are a new creature. Old has passed away, and the new has come. Ezekiel fleshes this out even more in Ezekiel eleven nineteen. God says here, he said, I will give them one heart, and a new spirit I will put with them. I will remove that heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This verse uh, tells us that apart from Christ, we have this immovable object inside of us, this cold, stony, hard heart. But Ezekiel tells us that God is not satisfied with that. He wants to remove that uh, heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh, a new, a soft heart, a tender heart. See, apart from Christ, it's not hard to live for yourself. We jump from one self-serving activity to the next, not really caring about the consequences, not really struggling with guilt very much. Where's the party on Friday night? Who's going to be my partner tonight? Drink till I forget. Wait till the next weekend and do it all over again. I put down others to lift myself up. I look out for number one, feed my eyes with all sorts of uh, pleasure, and when we're living outside of Christ and before we found Christ, those things were easy for us to do and we didn't really have 
a problem with them. No real reason to try and stop, and in any bit of second guessing was only uh, for a moment. But see, then God saved you, and God came into your life. And all of a sudden, you had this nagging voice inside you that told you, you didn't belong here, and you shouldn't be doing these things, and this isn't right. All of a sudden, your hard heart is soft, and you're tender towards your conscience. And that same heart that previously couldn't see that those young women are someone's daughter and sister, and they're created by God, and they're valuable and shouldn't be treated so cheaply, all of a sudden, these new feelings are flooding in that this is not okay, and this is not who I am. That same heart that celebrated debauchery on a bar stool now looks around and sees a bunch of people that are hurting and they're trying to numb the pain and that's why they're there. And you can see past all the outside things. And that cold and that dead heart now is soft and empathetic. See, this is what happens when we are in Christ. Things that we didn't used to do, now those doors are open to us and our eyes are open and our heart is open to those things. Now, obviously, you could feel guilt before salvation, before Christ came into your life, and before you accepted him as your Savior, but it always just pointed, that guilt always just pointed you deeper down into your shame, and it was a cycle of sin. But now, in Christ, it's not guilt. If it's the Holy Spirit, it's conviction, and it's always trying to instead lift you up to what you're called to be. That those actions are below a child of a king. That's not who you are anymore. You're better than that. You're worth more than that. And all these things are the Holy Spirit moving into your life and being that still, small voice that directs you. Now, obviously, we can still ignore it. We can plug our ears. We can tell the Holy Spirit and that leading in our heart to shut up. 1 Timothy 4 says that we can even sear our conscience meaning that we can say shut up enough to the Holy Spirit that he backs off and gives us over to what we want to do. And your mom probably did that growing up, right? She'd tell you something three times, and then all of a sudden she got silent. And you knew that silence was far worse than any amount of her yelling at you. How many are with me there, right? My mom is real good at the silent treatment. And uh, you could feel it. It was like in the air. You could feel her just staring at you. And the Holy Spirit will do that to us as well. That we don't lose our salvation, but we uh, begin to not hear that still small voice in our hearts anymore. God lets us go and experience those things that we want, even though he knows they're bad for us, with the hopes that we're going to go and find out that those things are empty and come running back to him. I got saved at the age of eight, and it's actually one of my earliest memories. I, I don't have a really good memory. And uh, my, uh, people tell me all the, th- all the time about things that I've done, and I'm like, man, I, I don't remember that at all, which is great because I don't carry a lot of guilt and shame about uh, you know, my teenage years and all that kind of, I don't know, maybe I did that. But one of my earliest memories is uh, of, of getting saved there at Landmark Baptist Church and putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, but as you can imagine, and many of you have probably experienced this as well, uh, Growing up and being saved and being a child of God as like a 13-year-old boy or, is a difficult time. And I would hear the Holy Spirit begin to nudge on my heart that this isn't supposed to be what I'm doing. And I'd say, hey, look, I know what I'm doing. I got this covered. My friends are doing this. It's going to be fine. Or I'd hear in my heart, hey, this isn't right. And I'd say, but it's fun. 
and I want to do it anyway. And I began to stifle the Holy Spirit in my life. And after a while, I remember thinking back and seeing how empty I was. And I went to teen camp and I remembered who God wanted me to be and how far I was from that. And I realized that still small voice wasn't speaking to me anymore. And that scared me. Around 16, I remember begging and praying to God to make my heart tender again, to stir in me and to speak in my heart. And I'll listen. I'll stop ignoring it. I'll stop shutting it down. And we look around at the state of the church in the world, and we're perplexed by how so many people can do so many things that are so contrary to the Bible. How can they support that? The Bible is clear about that. The Bible is clear that God wants us to stay away from that thing, and he knows it's not best. He knows it will hurt us. How can people be involved in that and be okay with it? How can Christians support that agenda? There's no love. There's no holiness. It's just self-serving. How can that Christian get so angry? They've been in church for so long. How can they be like that and the Holy Spirit not convict them? How can the church ignore the people that are hurting right outside the walls of the church? How can they be so caught up in materialism and buildings and wealth? The early church would not recognize the church today. How can we look out at the state of the church and see there's so much that doesn't connect with the Bible and it doesn't line up with the Bible? How can that be? Well, there's only two conclusions that I can come to. Either one, much of the church does not know Christ at all. They're not redeemed. They're not saved. They haven't put their faith in Jesus Christ. They haven't made that choice once and for all, and they're still trying to live in their own power in and of themselves. So that's option number one. How can we look out at this church today in the world and say, how are they still doing this? One is they don't know Christ at all, or two, they simply have long since ignored the Holy Spirit. See, it's a problem if you can live in habitual sin and it not bother you. That's not okay. It's it's a problem if you can go through weeks and months without feeling uh, God leading and guiding you to do something and to go in a certain direction. How do we know it's a problem? We just read these two verses that are clear in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if anyone, absolutely anyone, everyone, all, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away and the new has come. Ezekiel told us he wants to give us a new heart, not that cold, dead, unfeeling, stony heart that we had before salvation. No, he wants to give us a new, soft, and tender heart, a heart of flesh. So that's the challenge today is if your heart is cold and unfeeling, then you need to figure out where you stand. That's a problem. That needs to alarm you. Now, there's a sweetness to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Just like when a parent disciplines their kid in the right way, when it's done right, it's laced with love and it's in the best interest of the child. Now, see, our new heart, our heart of flesh, is not just soft towards our sin. Matt Chandler says this. He says, our new heart of flesh is not only tender towards our conscience, it's also tender toward suffering and sorrow in the world. 
Our new heart, our heart of flesh, should be empathetic towards those that are affected by the sinfulness of this world. And this is why genuine Christians throughout history have always led the charge running headlong into the problems of this world. Haven't you ever wondered why there's so many Baptist hospitals, Presbyterian hospitals, Catholic hospitals? It's because people at their root, there's some people long time ago that cared outside themselves. The Red Cross, the Salvation Army. The idea of charity in general was birthed out of the church with almshouses and poor boxes and collections for the poor and the homeless missions. Why? Because if we are living in Christ, we hurt for those that hurt. We mourn for those that mourn. We care about the widow and the orphan and the marginalized. And we want to live lives full of good works and acts of charity. But see, we can't do any of that outside of Christ. Sure, we can put up a front and we can fake it, but in reality, we're doing those things because we're trying to make ourselves feel like good people. But we can't fly without a plane. We have no ability to produce genuine good works aside from Christ. And trying to is just going to make you angry. If that's you and you haven't, you have got this cold in your dead heart and you're trying to force yourself to do good works, that's just going to make you frustrated. And you're going to look around and you're going to get angry that other people aren't helping and other people aren't doing more. You're going to want to quit. You're going to get burned out. But see, when you're serving in Christ, you realize that even in your suffering and even in your sacrifice, you can worship God. And though none go with me, still I will follow. That I serve Christ. I'm not serving other people. So our new heart is not only just sensitive towards our sin, it's also soft towards the suffering in this world. And then it's also soft towards thankfulness. See, for many of us, the problem we struggle with is that we are bloated with blessings. If you're here and you have a job and you have a place to live, then you are just like me. You are spoiled rotten. And the main reason is, is because we still complain about what we don't have. But if we're living in Christ, the things of this world will lose their flavor. Jesus told a parable about a rich man in Luke who had such a good harvest, such a great year that his barns couldn't hold the bounty. So he said, tear down my barns. I want to make some bigger ones. But it never occurred to him in this story to give away the rest even though he had more than he need, needed. But he decided instead to hoard his resources. In Luke chapter 12, verse 18, we see this. Is this rich man speaking. He said, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul? I like that right there. That's pretty cool, right? <laughs> soul? You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. There's a twist here, verse 20. It says, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. 
That's harsh right there, right? But his heart was hard to the suffering of those in need. He padded his 401k, his savings account. He upgraded to a 2020. He put on that addition. Why? Because he had enough, and there's no reason not to use it, right? Why wouldn't we use it? Never once asking the question, did God give me extra to help someone? Did God hand me this to hand this to someone else? He thought all of his harvest and bounty meant that he had security and comfort and leisure. But as Christ followers, that's not what we're called to. We aren't called to comfort and security. Louis Giglio says this, faith thrives in discomfort. So we aren't called to comfort. That's not the goal. That's not the purpose. We got to stop believing the lie that as Christians, we should be pushing towards the American dream of white picket fences and, and whatever else it is. <laughs> faith thrives in discomfort. And if you look at places in the world today, the places that are having revival are the places that's the harshest conditions and it's under persecution. Why? Because when we get bloated with blessings, we feel like we don't need God anymore. And this man was not rich towards God. And he obviously wasn't living in Christ. Oh, Phil, that's pretty harsh, right? That sounded like a wise financial investment. He seems like a great businessman. And that must mean that he has God's favor, right? Wrong. Wealth is not necessarily a sign of virtue. I'm a number one target of this message. Tori and I have a beautiful house, and I could tell you an amazing story, a long story about how God has blessed us with this house and many other houses in the past, how much we saved or how much we made. But somehow in this beautiful house, we've still found ways to complain. We, uh, for the first time, we've always had two full baths. Can I get an amen on that, right? <laughs> but for the first time, we only have one and a half bath. <gasps> oh, I am persecuted, right? And we still found, now when guests come over, it is inconvenient, and it is hard sometimes to get everybody in the shower and all that kind of stuff. But we ought to be pla- praising God for that half bath. I went to Indonesia, and their bath room was a hole in the ground. It was a box, and then there was a hole in the ground. No seat or anything. And I didn't sit down for a week. (laughs) I flew 19 hours back to come home and sit down at home. Talk about being bloated with blessings, right? (laughs) See, when we're living in Christ, our heart is not only aware of our sin and aware of the suffering around us. It is wide awake to the blessings that God has given us. We are so blessed. And when we're living in Christ, we're going to see that. It's going to be so vivid to us. So what does this have to do with Advent, Phil? Why, where, why are we talking about this? Christmas is in less than two weeks. Give us the baby in the manger. Tell us the story, uh, the Christmas story from the perspective of the innkeeper. Talk about how the cattle are lowing. I'm trying to show you this morning why this uh, Christmas story is such an amazing thing. God came close 
And he wants to walk with you in your pain. And he wants you to make you into something that you cannot be without him. And if this newness of life and this heart change from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, if none of that vibes with you, that's great news because we've just found out your problem. Your problem is not that God doesn't love you. Your problem is not that church is boring or that you've been burnt. If none of this newness of life vibes with you, your problem is not that you're too bad or too far gone. No, your problem is that you're not in Christ. And if you're trying to live this walk without relying and leaning and walking every day, daily in Christ, then it's not going to work and it makes sense that you're frustrated. If this newness doesn't make sense to you and there's no change in your life and there's never been a change, then you're not in Christ. And that's not God's plan for you. He has so much more for you. So it's on you to say today, where do I stand? There are two causes this morning for a Christian to not live in Christ. And the first is this, you're religious but you're not redeemed. You're religious, but you're not redeemed. You have a head knowledge and a Bible knowledge, but you still have a stone heart, and you're still trying to squeeze good works out of a stone, and that's why you're frustrated, and that's why you're angry, and that's why you're hopeless, and that's why you find yourself constantly butting heads with those around you. But there's an amazingly, amazingly simple fix, and it's so simple because Jesus already did the hard part. You need to put aside your pride today and get saved. See, God doesn't care how long you've been a member here. He doesn't care that you've served on church council. He doesn't care what people will think. He knows that there's amazing gifts that are found only when you're living in Christ and when he makes us a new creature. And you've been working and trying so hard and it's been frustrating. And you've got to ask yourself this question. Am I just religious but not redeemed? Because God has amazing things for you. That's why God came to earth. Emmanuel, God is with us. Maybe that's you today. That you need to put down your pride and cry out to God that's tugging on your heart right now and say, God, I'm sorry that I've played games. I'm sorry that I relied on this to-do list to get me into a right relationship with you. Instead, God, today I put my faith in what Jesus did and Jesus did alone. So that's the first reason. We're not living in Christ. You're religious, but you're not redeemed. Or number two, you're redeemed, but you're ignoring the Holy Spirit. You've stifled the voice of the Holy Spirit. You've drowned it out. You've talked over it. You've told it to shut up. And the Holy Spirit's been nudging on your heart for a long time to say sorry to your son or to go return what you took from your boss or to tell your wife about an affair you had years ago. You'd say, why does it matter? God forgives me, right? Right. But God still wants us to get it right with the people that we have hurt. And those nudgings on your heart to get things right that you're feeling right now, that's awesome. That's great. God brought something and it's bubbled up to the surface of your mind. That's great. That's proof that you're saved. There's conviction on your heart. 
but you've long since told the Holy Spirit to be quiet. And that's why you have no joy and no passion and no care for those around you. You used to have passion, but someone hurt you. You never forgave them. Something's between you and someone else. Your pride, your arrogance got in the way, and now your heart's like a stone. God has amazing gifts for us in Christ. Amazing things. Life is always going to be hard. But if you're doing it alone, apart from the the gifts that God has given us, it is going to be unnecessarily hard. You're beating your head against the wall, trying to make things work and trying to figure things out. But you need to ask yourself those two questions today. God, where do I stand before you? Why why are you not moving in my life? Why am I not growing? Why have I not taken any steps? Why did I used to be this, but now I'm not? Why did I give up? What's gone on? Why is it like this? Am Am I religious but not redeemed? The Bible tells us in Jude that there's gonna be some people that say, God, I've done this for you, I've done that for you, and he's gonna look at them and say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I don't know you. There's some people that do religious things that, not, that aren't putting their faith in Jesus Christ. That's a scary thing as a pastor. That means there's probably someone today that is very, maybe a core person in the church that has done amazing things. And when I look at them, I say, man, that's a good Christian. But God, when he sees them and they stand before him, he's going to see through that outward facade that they've built and they've manicured and they made look real good. And he's going to say, hey, you put your faith in yourself instead of putting your faith in me. Or maybe you're that one that you say, man, I I remember the day that I got saved. I remember that choice and that decision. Something happened along the way, and I took my eyes off of what was important. And I've told the Holy Spirit, I knew I was was deciding to sin, and I told the Holy Spirit, I'm going to do it anyway. Just be quiet. And God's been waiting for you to say, God, I'm sorry. God, speak to my heart again. I'm tired of the silence. I can't handle it. God, I want to hear your voice. I will obey. And maybe you have to do something drastic. Maybe you have to call someone you hope you never have to talk to again. But it's worth it to live in Christ. Band's going to come. Why am I telling you all this? Pastor Phil, what does this have to do with Christmas? It's because the joy and the warmth that you are looking for this season is not in tradition, it's not in festivities, or even in family. It is only found in the gifts that we have available to us in Christ. That is where true joy comes from. And if you're not living in Christ, that shouldn't be okay. Why? Because we can't fly without a plane. And if you try to, it's going to be painful. With every head's bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to challenge you to pray these two questions. 
right now. Music's going to play here in just a second. The first question is, God, am I religious or am I redeemed? I'm not trying to make you doubt salvation, but it's got to be, it's got to be genuine. I do want you to doubt if you're not saved. I don't want to coddle you into a place where you're okay with not being redeemed. That's the first question. Am I just religious or am I redeemed? The second question is this. God, if I am saved, and I, I, I am saved, am I living in Christ? You can't do it unless you have that relationship. Am I living in Christ? And when was the last time I felt God move on my heart to do something? Is my heart soft towards the leading of the Holy Spirit? Is it soft towards my sin? Is it soft towards the suffering? Is it soft towards the thankfulness of all that I have? Is my heart soft or is it hard? Is it stone? Am I listening? The music plays. I'm going to give you some time. Take a little bit of extra time this morning to ask our heart these questions. Altar's open. If you want to come down and use this, you come now.